Next Chapter Podcast. Hey friends, as we continue to cook up more fresh beef for you, we know you might be getting hungry for more content that's darkly funny and illuminates the weird and worrying aspects of our world. So tide yourself over with the newest show from Next Chapter Podcasts, Indecent with Kiki Anderson. Former journalist and current comedian Kiki Anderson talks with experts in porn, politics, tech, religion, and other walks of life to peel back the wallpaper of polite society and figure out exactly what makes us squeamish and why. Feast your ears on the first episode. If you're here, maybe it's because you know me. Or maybe you saw our graphic of the fine china on a white linen cloth accompanied by a vibrator and a cigarette. Either way, you're in the right place. Hi, I'm Kiki Anderson, your favorite white Latina Jewish comedian. Now these days, most people know me as a stand-up comic, writer, actor, but I haven't always been barely making my rent in LA. I used to have like a real job. <laughs> yeah, I was a news reporter. Oh, oh. you always do that. I'm like, you don't want the fucking news. <laughs> it's like the WNBA. People support it, but like not really. <laughs> So before I started hustling jokes for drink tickets, I was in what I like to call my cringe era, local news. We are outside of a methadone clinic. It's situated between uh, a family care center, a child care center, and a place of worship just across the street from Pimlico. That was me. I could not stop doing the reporter voice and I worked so hard, so damn hard to decornify my voice. I won't go back. Anyway, I did local news for four years, I worked in two markets, and I won two Emmys. Are you impressed? You're not impressed, no one cares. No one watches the news anymore, and that's fine. However, during my tenure on television, I did enjoy a very small, very fleeting amount of internet fame. And here's the real buzzkill. It had nothing to do with me or my work. It was thrust upon me by the most iconic blonde reptile of all time, Kelly Ann Conway. Do you think I ran a campaign where white supremacists had a platform? Are you going to look me in the face and tell me that? It did. Kelly really? did. Oh, did. did. See, here's the thing. My legal name, don't tell anybody, is Kelly Anderson. So as a fellow skinny white woman with a very similar sounding name, when people would try to hate tweet at Kellyanne, my Twitter handle would auto-populate, sending her hate tweets to me. Some of the regular bangers I got included dumb bitch or fascist cunt. And my all-time favorite was lying sack of bitch flesh. Oof, I told you, heaters on heaters. So I started responding. Sorry, wrong Kelly. Immediately, the apologies rolled in. People turned on a dime. It was nuts. It was like virtual road rage. Like watching your mom call someone a cuck bastard through the window of a minivan. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this incident over the last few years. Cause this incident, like so many others during the Trump years, cemented the idea that behind the internet's thin veil of anonymity, a lady in the streets can become a freak in the tweets. Most people would not act like that in quote, real life. Or as some nerds call it, the meat space, which is also what I call my vagina. What I'm trying to say is, the internet has this crazy way of, at times, making us feel like we're the most enlightened, progressive, woke society has ever been. But then, you take one wrong turn on Facebook, and all of a sudden we become our most tribal, visceral, primitive, nasty selves. Cause that's the duplicity of the digital age, baby. And millennials, we're next in line for the throne. 
Millennials, the poor suckers who went through puberty at the same time as the internet. We were online, watching Mr. Hans fuck a horse. That's what we were doing. We were trauma dumping on our Zangas because we are the pioneers of oversharing and we have collectively outed ourselves as horny, angry, horny, honestly, mostly just bored people who constantly need validation. So as long as we are all at the bottom together, this is Indecent, a podcast where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society to discover what is and isn't considered acceptable these days, and who sets the boundaries for today's taboos, whether that's sex, politics, religion, whatever. Now, I want to be very clear about something. We are not here to solve anything. We're just asking questions like, why are people so hung up on this subject? Who sets the rules? Where do these ideologies come from? What do Hollywood, Washington, Wall Street, and Silicon Valley stand to gain or lose from these hot topics? And so today we're starting with the hottest topic of them all. Pornography. Erotica, smut, dirt, filth. Oh, the good old spank bank. <gasps> Is it hot in here? Is that just me? Oh yeah? Now, I don't need to rap the lyrics to WAP to make the point that we are more sexually liberated than we've ever been. I mean, that song alone had 93 million streams the first week it was released. And I'm old enough to remember when people were mad at Miley Cyrus for twerking. And there's a whole lot more to consider when we're thinking about what all of that means. I mean, if you wanna go see the least horny, most boner-killing thing in the history of all time, go look up the video of right-wing Pee Wee Herman stand-in Ben Shapiro reciting WAP on YouTube. I promise you will dry right up. Wet ass P-word. Make that pullout game weak. <sighs> Why is it that Ben Shapiro and Fox News' endless parade of crusty old men hopped up on Blue Chew are constantly trying to cock block us everywhere from your browser to your bedroom. Never mind the fact that xvideos.com is the 10th most popular website in the entire fucking world. It averages 3 billion visits a month. I mean, we found one study that says that over 4 million Americans watch upwards of 11 hours of porn a week. But the CDC says that the number of teens actually having sex has decreased since the 80s. And the number of teens using protection has been on the rise. I'm not saying hand your kids a copy of Milf Hunter or The Bang Boss. All I'm saying is most of us saw porn growing up and most of us turned out fine. Yet you've got states like Utah and Louisiana that are now forcing their residents to upload their IDs every time they want to rub one out using online porn. Now, of course, of course, of course, there are a lot of problems with these porn platforms, okay? I know that, we're not ignoring it. If you haven't watched the Money Shot documentary on Netflix, you gotta. Consent, rape, violence, pedophilia, those are very, very, very real problems on these platforms, and we are definitely gonna cover that on the next episode, I promise. But today, we're just focusing on good old-fashioned, legal, consensual porn. So, for this episode, I spoke with Dr. Lori Batito. Dr. Petito is a clinical psychologist who's been practicing psychotherapy for over 30 years. She's the host of the Passion Podcast and the author of The Sex Bible for People Over 50. She's also the director of Pornhub Sexual Wellness Center. And I want to be clear here, she's not speaking on behalf of Pornhub. Uh, we're just talking about porn in general and what, if anything, it's doing to society.
Dr. Petito, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Please call me Lori. <laughs> Lori, hell yeah. Cool. Thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah. So speaking of pleasure, I want to get right into the dirty stuff. How much jerking off is too much jerking off? Because I got to say, with this work from home business, there's got to be some new high scores on the board. You got it. Uh, in fact, you're you're 100% right because first of all, the rise of like sexual compulsive disorders or sex addiction, otherwise known, uh, has is on the rise. And a lot of it has to do with working from home, accessibility, time, boredom, uh, all of those things. So the, the question, that's a question I get often, you know, how much is too much? I think I'm, I'm an addict. I'm jerking off, you know, whatever. Some people think three times a day is too much. Other people think, oh, 20 times a day is nothing. Like, you know, it's like, okay, when do we see it as a problem? We see it as a problem when it impacts your life. If you can't get through the day without, you know, rubbing one out in the bathroom stall at the office, you got a problem. You know, if you are substituting having sex with your partner who is available to you and who wants to have sex with you, but you can't get it up or you can't do it because you've already done it three times in the day, then it becomes a problem. So when it starts to impact either your relationships or your your social or your work or anything like that, then uh, then it becomes problematic. So say you're somebody who jerks off 20 times a day, but your employee of the month and your partner is very satisfied. It's not a problem. Really? How much time do you think that is in a day? Like, it, you know, you, you ejaculate 20 times a day, you got nothing left for your partner. I, I would be hard pressed to find somebody who's got anything left after that. You're exhausted. I mean, it, you know, there is like there is a physical response, right, to to ejaculation. Men get tired, especially men. They get tired after uh, after an orgasm. So 20 times, I would say that's, you know, a given that it's a little much. Yeah, at that point, you, somebody's got to put you in a lab and do some experiments yeah, on you because exactly. <laughs> that's unreal. <laughs> but, you know, twice a day, like some people think twice a day is too much or what have you. But there are plenty of people I know who start the day with an orgasm, end the day with an orgasm, and it doesn't interfere in any way, shape or form. It feels like there's something for everybody when it comes to porn. There's so many different kinds of porn. We've got threesomes. We've got bukkakis. We've got cosplay. We've got interracial, golden showers, you name it. Does that mean that everybody's watching porn? Well, just about. If you just look at the sheer numbers, right? So if you look at uh, one, you know, one website, it can have 60 million views, you know, or what, like you, you just have to look at the numbers. And when you break it down, you know, 40, almost 40% worldwide of porn watchers are women. So it's not just a guy thing. Um, and, you know, you have a lot of people who have who watch porn, a lot of people. So, but does that mean that everybody's screwed up because they watch porn or that everybody's affected by it in the same way? Absolutely not. You have a small percentage, very small percentage of porn watchers who have a who use it problematically, who I would say are like the porn addicts. And I think that suppression probably leads to problematic behavior. Yeah, no, no. You're, what you're saying is is 100% true because if you look at the numbers of in, in states that are the most conservative, they have the highest, like highest number of porn watchers. You nailed it on the head, Lori. That was exactly what I was going to ask you. <laughs> yep. Talk to me more about that. These people that are suppressing people's rights and sexuality and gender, 
what's going on with them? Why are they watching more porn than anybody else? Well, the more taboo something is, the more appealing it becomes, right? So in in places where there's no conversation, you're not even allowed to talk about it or utter the words or even express pleasure or any of that, you're going to find people looking for it. Part of it is because sexuality is a human thing, right? So it's part of our our, our humanity. It's part of our humanness. So when you repress something, what do you do with your sexual desires? What do you do with the horniness? What do you do, which are all normal, normal things, right? What do you do with these spontaneous erections you have? Like at some point you're discovering, you know, masturbation. And even if you're told, no, no, you shouldn't masturbate because it's against whatever religion, a lot of people do it anyway you know, but they do it in secret. Everything is hidden. Everything is secret. Why are we always discovering things? You know, why do these things make headlines? It's like, because exactly that it happens in some of the more repressed societies. Do you have other insight that like might surprise people about people's sexual habits or porn consumption that, you know, maybe shocks people is like, oh, well, I hadn't thought about that before. Very little shocks me today, I have to say, after years and years of, of um, you know, working with people and their sexual interests. Uh, all I can say is the difference, like I can talk to you about what, what it was like, my work was like 30 years ago versus today. I started working in this field pretty much pre-internet, right? More or less, like around the beginnings of it all. And... Um, so I've, I was able to see the kinds of who's coming for help and for what. So when I started in, in the field, what I was seeing a lot of was people coming in with um, very disturbed by their fetishes, by their desires, right? Like confused by, I don't understand. Why do I like feet so much? Why does this arouse me? Or I don't understand. I love to wear women's underwear and and I feel weird and I feel like I'm disturbed and I feel like uh, I'm this or that. This is not normal. And they had no community. In other words, they thought they were the only person in the whole entire world that was aroused by women's panties, for example. Okay. So that that's what I was seeing then. So fast forward today, I don't see that anymore. Hardly ever because now you just Google, you know, I'm interested in feet and you find thousands upon thousands upon thousands of websites of like-minded people, right? Or, or the expression of this, of, of whatever fetish it is. So now they don't feel so, like they don't feel alone and they don't feel abnormal and they feel like they belong somewhere, right? So that, that's been a, a, an incredible shift. Um, one thing I know is that whatever, like there's a fetish for everything. <laughs> like, you know, there's a fetish for everything. One guy once called me on the air and told me he liked to, you know, screw trees, you know, like to stick his, his, his dick in tree holes, you know, I'm like, okay. And there's a the thing. splinters alone. I, I, yeah. Well, whatever. I, hopefully he wore a condom, but, uh, you know, but this was what was arousing for him to go and, you know, pound at a tree. I don't know. Like to me and you, it sounds like, okay, this is really freaking weird, but there are other people like that. Like they, <laughs> yeah, there are other people like that. So are there? I don't uh, know. I, I don't know. Lori, I'm going to have to fact check that. Yeah, fact check it. But I think there's something, yeah, there's a name for it somewhere. I'm telling you that the list of things that people are attracted to 
or that get turned on by, by whatever is, is huge, just huge. And that's what I've learned is that sexual, there's a, 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 such a diversity and, and, uh, such a menu of, uh, of sexual interests far beyond what any of us, you know, who are just like exposed to the vanilla part of sex are exposed to, frankly, you know? That reminds me, there's this like internet saying, like popular on Reddit and that kind of thing, that there, it's like rule number whatever of the internet, if it exists, there's porn of it. Oh, yeah. Um, so- yeah. So if we're talking about cheeseburgers, there's cheeseburger porn. If we're yeah. talking about lawnmowers, there's lawnmower porn. Usually it's it's whatever is au courant, meaning like whatever is 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 in our whatever we're talking about, right? So during COVID, you could Google COVID porn and you'll find COVID porn. You know, uh if we're talking about uh Game of Thrones or, you know, something something popular, we're gonna see some porn about it. Whatever, whatever it is that we are talking about, we sexualize somewhere. You know, people look for for that. And we can see that in the searches, right? So whatever is popular at whatever time of of year or, or decade or whatever is happening in our society, this is what there's always some porn related to it. That's very true. What about like the the things that you're seeing in porn? Like you're seeing, you know, tiny woman destroyed by 10 cocks. Like doesn't that kind of skew somebody's perception of sex? Where, like, where is the fantasy and where is the reality? Is it a fantasy or is it a guideline? It's all a fantasy. None of it is a guideline, for sure not. Uh, porn is entertainment. Uh, let's not forget that porn is entertainment. In the same way that we watch horror movies and we watch slasher films, like people killing people and lots of blood and gore and all of that stuff. Those are all fantasies. Just because we enjoy those or get, uh, you know, aroused in different ways by those things doesn't mean we're going out and, you know, killing a bunch of people because that's what we're, we're watching. Like we know, most of us know this is entertainment. So it's all, it, it is fantasy. And most people will tell you they don't, they watch it, but they don't do any of any of what they watch. It just stays in the realm of fantasy. Where it becomes problematic is when young people who have not fully developed brains, who have not had access to comprehensive sex education, who have not had uh, you know porn literacy programs, who watch this and believe that this is real and believe that this is what sex is all about, this is what women love, this is what men need to do, this is, you know, so you need the, like, by the time adults start to watch it, they've had experiences usually in the bedroom. They've, you know, they've, they're more aware uh, of sexuality in general. But when you're talking about young people who, unfortunately, it's so easily accessible to them, that's where I, like, I worry more about those, that, that uh, cohort. Yeah, I guess how do you get ahead of that? Because inevitably, you know, teenagers are going to get their hands on porn. It used to be dirty magazines that they found in their dad's closet. Now it's yeah. Pornhub.com mm -hmm. or OnlyFans or any of these other websites that are available. Anything. Yeah, yeah. but I mm -hmm. remember watching porn as a teenager and you see women like screaming like banshees and they're just loving all the dicks that are thrown at them and they everybody yeah, right. always comes. You always know how porn ends. It's not like that in real life. <laughs> exactly. So with with experience, 
you know, people realize, well, that's purely fantasy. That isn't what real women want. That isn't what real women like, you know, but we need to have conversations about sexuality. So porn literacy is about teaching kids who will have access to that, that this is not real. That, that this is not what real women like, or this is not what real men look like. You know, the, a, a real guy doesn't have a 10 inch dick, you know, the, they're hired because of that. They, that's why they're hired. Your average is this, that's not it. So, you know, you have to be able to get any porn watcher to look at this in a more critical fashion, let's just say. Um, excuse me, what? If 10 inch dicks aren't real, then what else isn't real? I had to investigate further, so I spoke to somebody who works behind the scenes. POV, you absolutely have to have a big one. Like, I filmed POV with a, literally with a dude with like just a very, just the most average dick. And he wasn't, like, he wasn't fat. This dude just had the littlest, tiniest little belly. You wouldn't even call, I wouldn't even be like, look at your belly in real life. But when I'm trying to fucking hold the camera, it, it literally, I could just, it's like, oh yeah, I gotta try to get the camera out to get around the guy's stomach because his dick is short. That's my friend Kenny Weber. At night, he does stand-up. During the day, he produces porn. Well, okay, so like, how long is a porn shoot? Because I've been on regular movie sets, that would be 12 hours. Most porn is like a scene. And a scene takes, I would say, like four to six hours to shoot. How do they keep it up for that long? Do they take anything? Oh uh, yeah, of course. Like they have all the dudes like have their own regiment. Like they're like that's just whatever. But like some of these videos will be like twenty minutes long. And I'm like, dude, I was done for <laughs> thirty seconds, you know? Well right. oh, yeah, it just depends on and then there's other people that are just sitting at home and staying up till five AM just fucking edging themselves off into oblivion and fucking <laughs> When we're talking about like people's expectations from porn, like let's talk about cum and squirting and all that. Do you, is there special effects there? Um, well, squirting is piss, so it's like, I mean, I get like, it's literally just like, let me chug this water so that when I, when I'm going to squirt, like, then I literally just piss everywhere. Like, it was legitimately just piss. So you watch porn stars just chug water yeah. before a scene? It was like, oh, do I need to squirt? They'll get there and be like, do I need to, do I need to squirt? And then they'll just be down in water and just piss everywhere. And then cum is just like, yeah, they'll use like fake cum. You know what I mean? But, but it's just like, that's like, depends on what they want. Like a lot of times they use that for pictures because they take the pictures before the scene while the makeup's still good. Um, they'll use it for like cream pies because it's like, because you can fucking, a woman can suck that up basically. So then there is nothing. You know what I mean? So it's like, they want to give that like effect that there's like a bunch of cum. And so they'll use, they'll use that. But even that isn't like a, all right, we're doing that every single day. Load this up all the time. We gotta load this up. The pictures, for pictures, it's more like they'll use Cetaphil. Yeah, you know I mean? Please like Cetaphil. Oh, okay. Just put some on there, like, move it around a little bit, and then take photos. But that is photos. So, what about we're talking about, like, bodies? Like, what are the unrealistic, unrealistic expectations for bodies? Well, that's just women that are willing to get to do whatever surgeries, like whatever the porn stars are willing to do, but then the dudes start watching, you know what I mean? It's like, but none of that to me is, like, well, not none of that, but I, most of that to me is not very attractive. Like all the stuff that they're doing with butts, you know what I mean? The past like five or six years are pretty, pretty like, I don't find it attractive personally. I don't know. Like anal legion? No, 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 not that. Like just like making, like, like making them big with like fake, like making them fake. It's gotten, I feel like it's, obviously they've been doing it for longer than five years, but I feel like it's trickled down to like, you see women 
You should be out and about and you see women with like fake butts. You know what I mean? I think girl, and then dude, there's a porn star, you know, I won't fucking throw anybody in their name, but by name under the bus, there's a porn star who was fucking fell on some stairs and popped her butt oh, and shit and fucking and fucked it all up. And then also filming surgery and stuff. Like most of those ones where when you're looking at it, if you're looking at it on camera, then you're like, whoa, that looks way more wild in person. Like it all, it doesn't, I sometimes will be like, how is that gonna, how's this gonna look? Good, and then even when you look at it through the viewfinder on the camera, you're just like, it does, it looks way better in here than it does in real life. Like, I, the angle, I don't even, I don't even know what it is. It's just like how you can see, you can feel, you can see a picture of yourself and you're like, oh God, I look, I literally look 50 pounds heavier than I feel. Like, it's like, I don't know what it does, like, well, I don't know what it is. They just, they look, they look a little, they look different on camera. Mm -hmm. That's why if you look at every single, like, position and porn that's not really what you're you do a version of that in real life but you don't do it like that like figure how many times it's just like a we could call it like man blanket like it's just a man blanket. like a guy's not trying to keep his whole entire body away from a woman and have sex with them which just has been you know what i mean yeah. like it's got, that's just not how that's not what like what you it's do like, you it's literally for it's called being open to camera so it's like making sure that you can see the penetration you know what i mean yeah so you have to have it. For P so POV is like an absolute, there's no choice, like no choice you can use. Wow. And so they have big and very flat bellies. So it's interesting because if a girl wants to get into porn, I mean, she can go get big tits, but if a guy wants to get into porn. Yeah, there's, really, yeah, there's nothing you can. The only thing you can do is to then try to come up with like a niche, I guess, like come up with like a reason why. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? <sighs> Squirting. It's the biggest issue driving voters to the polls in 2024. But for now, let's go back to Dr. Lori. So Lori, you know, this conversation has mostly been talking about, you know, embracing your sexuality, but there is this movement that you're seeing a lot on the internet and podcasts and in like mostly in men's circles about like going backwards and kind of holding back your sexuality and holding back your sexual urges, not masturbating so that you can focus better, perform better. What do you think about that? <laughs> I think it's the George Costanza effect, but um, there is, a, you're right, there's a movement, uh, we call it the no fap uh, movement, and there's all these guys who, you know, want to encourage others to hold off and save that sexual energy, not waste that sexual energy on masturbation and channel it in more creative ways and and things like that. I think the problem is, is that if we go back to what we, you know, were saying earlier about too much masturbation and how much time is wasted and how much energy might be wasted, it's like getting guys to say, you know what, I could do different things with my time. Like I don't have to sit and and jerk off and watch porn all day. Like I, I can use that time in a more productive, uh, more healthy kind of way that's maybe healthier for my brain and and healthier for for my relationship and and such like that. So um listen I, I think yeah you can challenge yourself to to hold off. There's nothing on like inherently unhealthy uh, about it, you know. It's like it's okay you can challenge yourself to channel your sexual energy elsewhere. Um that's a per that's a personal choice, but I don't think it's going to create a, any kind of wonderful, transformative wellness anywhere, really. Like, I just, I, I haven't seen any science behind that one. 
Where do you think that stigma comes from? Is it is it religion? Is it the way we're talking to kids in schools? Or where do you think that comes from? Well, the stigma is a, has been here a long time. And it's the stigma about sexuality in general. I'm seeing a shift, though. I'm seeing, I don't know, at least in North America, a bit of a shift. And maybe in certain places, maybe not in others. And you have other forces trying to bring it, you know, take it away while we're trying to, you know, bring the conversation up. So I, I am like, I, I talk to young people a lot and they are far more aware today than the youth of like 30 years ago or 20 years ago. We're, we're talking more, right? They know what, no, they know what binary, non-binary, trans, LGBTQ, like people are having conversations around diversity of sexuality. So inevitably the door opens to talking about sexuality in general. So you're, this generation is far more open to discussing this, you know, but you know, most of us were raised in, I mean, I, for me, I'm close to 60. So, you know, I was raised in another complete generation where we didn't talk about sexuality, where we got very little sex education in schools. And, uh, you know, so there was a lot of repression. How we grew up is another thing. If you grow up in a very repressive household versus one that's more expressive, where you are allowed to ask questions about sexuality, where the topic of conversation is not taboo, you will likely grow up with a healthier view of sexuality than someone who's grown up in a very repressive, shame-based environment where sex is evil and sinful and shameful, right? And dirty. Cool. Cool, cool. Not based on science. What do you know? <laughs> well, I mean, I haven't seen it. Show it to me and we'll yeah. have another discussion. You know, show me what 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 all of this is is about. Like, how does it what does it do for you? Like, I know there is research on, um, for example, uh, you know, young men who uh, masturbate regularly tend to have less of. Uh, you know, maybe less prostate issues later on. So there is a, there is science to back that up. I've really? seen that. Yeah. Huh. So, right. So there's something to be said about cleaning your pipes, I guess, at some point, right? <laughs> so uh, I don't know about holding off. What is that going to cause? Obviously, there's real condition, not conditions, but like discomforts. Like if you get aroused and you don't release, you might get blue balls. You know, that's a, a real possibility. But again, why, you know, you can make whatever commitment you want to yourself. Like it's a challenge, right? It's about being in control of yourself in, instead of it controlling you. So I don't have a problem with that. Like if people want to have control over whatever, it, whatever behavior they feel may be somewhat problematic, it's that that's empowering, right? That that's healthy. The sense of empowerment is healthy that I control my, my desire rather than my desire controlling me. I like that. Talk to me more about blue balls because <laughs> that brought me on a different thought track. Like we were talking earlier about how, you know, especially older porn, um, you know, the dawn of porn, it was a lot. It was mostly centered on male pleasure and women were there to fill the fantasies of men. But then porn got woke and realized women love sex, too, and women actually like porn and we should center their pleasure. But there used to be this kind of narrative that, like, if you as a woman did not take a man to completion, then you were going to give him blue balls. And that's the most fucked up thing you can do to a man. Uh, yeah, right. And I think we've all heard it as women. Uh, you know, I, I, I can tell you probably heard that. 
as a teenager, you know, with, with, uh, oh, if you, if you don't, you know, you don't give me a hand job and you know, I'm going to get blue balls. You want me to get blue balls? Like it's just a way of pressuring women, but it's a bunch of bullshit really, because <laughs> like go jerk off if you get to that point, you know, it's not a given that you're going to develop blue balls. If, uh, if you don't come that one time, like mm-hmm. that's, that, that just puts pressure and, uh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> and I hate and I hate the idea of you know to me when when young people like I you know I talk to young people about consent a lot and uh, when somebody when 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 a partner will pressure you in that way it's like if you don't do this for me I will get blue balls and it will be your fault that I'm suffering and so the the partner says oh okay well I don't want you to suffer so I'll do something that I don't really want to do but I'll do it because it's just a form of pressure and when you submit to pressure that isn't consent right consent has to be given enthusiastically so uh so th- yeah for some guys you know they get congested if they've if they've been aroused a lot and haven't you know, released at some point will get a, a, an ache in their balls because they just a lot of blood congested there. But, you know, it's easily remedied, you know, jerk off and there it goes. That's <laughs> fr- straight from the doctor, straight from Dr. <laughs> Vitito. <laughs> jerk off, you'll feel better. <laughs> well, is there a particular topic, like when we're talking about power and sex and porn, is there something that you're like, why aren't people talking about this? Listen, I think I think when all we talk about is porn and we we kind of vilify it and we say it is the cause of all our problems and it's not true. You know, I think the biggest culprit is the lack of sexual sex education, comprehensive sex education. I think that's the biggest culprit. Um I think that we we need to work on educating young people about all kinds of stuff. You know, the one thing we don't talk about ever is pleasure. Like, why do people have sex, by the way? Why do even, why would teenagers have sex? Young adults have sex. Why? For pleasure. It feels good. So, but why doesn't anybody talk about pleasure? Why doesn't anybody tell a young person, by the way, when you start having sex, if it hurts, that's not normal. You should call your doctor. You should speak to somebody. You should, you know, whatever it is. Instead, they suffer in silence, don't want to talk to anybody, don't know who to talk to, and, uh, you know, then start avoiding sex altogether when there could have been a very simple remedy. So we need to have these conversations. It's so true. I see a lot of suffering in my practice, Kiki. Like, I see a lot of suffering, a lot of young people with sexual issues that have been carrying around this weight of like, I'm not normal. What's wrong with me? I'm, you know, whatever it is, because they have no, they've had no one to talk to and they never, you know, they've not heard about whatever it is that they are, they've been suffering with. Right. And it can take them a long time before they make the phone call and say, okay, I think I need to to talk to somebody. And, you know, they got to also know who to talk to. So part of my personal mission is to get out there and talk to people and get them talking and, uh, you know, giving them avenues where they can get their questions answered to all of these, these things that they don't know who they, they just don't know. Like they can't, you know, going to your doctor, that's great. Except that doctors get zero 
you know, pretty much zero sex education in, in, in medical school. They don't, they don't learn about dysfunction. They don't learn about this stuff. Or at least if they do, it's a very, you know, it's a one lecture kind of thing. I know. Cause I do, I give that lecture in, you know, in medical schools as well. Like I've, I've gone and given the one, one hour, try to cram everything in, in terms of all the sexual issues that they could encounter, but it's not enough. Like you got to know what the causes are, what can be done, what are the treatment options or erectile dysfunction. Oftentimes a guy goes in and says, oh, I'm having trouble getting it up. And the doctor says, well, here's a prescription for Viagra and off you go. Where's we're not getting to the root cause. Are we discovering if it's physical or psychological? And if it's psychological, why aren't we why aren't we dealing with the fears, the anxieties, the shame, all of these things? We're just sending them on their way with a prescription with no clear understanding. I just saw a guy. It the exact same thing happened. He, he said for 20 years he's been taking Viagra. The guy's 43 years old. He's been taking Viagra for 20 years. His doctor just gave him a script. And I said, your doctor never suggested you speak to somebody because your problem is clearly not physical. He's able to masturbate, no problem, has erections, no problem. It's only when he's with women and when there's intercourse involved that he gets all you know anxious. And so nobody ever dealt with his, his anxiety. Nobody ever dealt with his fear. So he never, you know, he never got to the root cause. And so instead we were, ma- you know, we just treated the symptom, masked it and never got to the root. So what is he supposed to do? take, take, yeah, 40 years old, take Viagra for the rest of his life. It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. It needs to be a more holistic approach. And I swear it like, like you never see a man crumble more than when he can't get hard or when he can't come, mm-hmm. you know, and there's so much like onus on being able to live up to that expectation that, yeah, I I think people feel like if they can't satisfy or if they can't go all the way, then they're not worthy and there's all these issues and they don't want to talk about it because they're ashamed. But then it becomes cyclical and a self-fulfilling prophecy. So the one problem I see the most of today in younger men is performance anxiety. This, This pressure to be a certain way. Now, is sometimes porn is responsible for some of it, right? It's like my dick is too small and how, you know, how come I'm not making women like, like screech and like, how come they're not, yeah, maybe I'm not satisfying them. And how come she's not squirting and I'm supposed to make her squirt. And like, there's all these expectations or, you know, she's going to think I'm not good enough or she's not going to think I'm big enough or she, you know, or he or whatever, like there's this, these, these expectations that they feel that they may not be normal or then they're not going to meet. And so all of these, there's a lot of shit going on in the brain and, you know, that's very distracting. And when you have all, all these fears and all of these anxieties, the last thing you're going to have is an erection because the blood is not going to flow to those, to that organ. It's going to go to like all the other organs that you need to kind of fight off this fear. Yeah. On a very like surface level, I mean, like, how can you even feel good about the way you look in bed when everything's so altered on the internet? Like, you know? Well, you, that's why you have to be, you have to be a critical thinker of what you're watching. Mm-hmm. Always. And that's something we can teach from a younger age. Cool. Uh, my last question, squirting, is it real? <laughs> Oh yeah, it, it's it's very real. Um, I I think you know, is it real like what we see in the movies? No, they the, that's 
you know, they use special effects. Let's just say there's a lot of special, like this is the other thing people don't realize is when you're watching porn or produce porn or things like that, you're going to have special effects just like in regular Hollywood movies, right? You're going to have special effects. So, you know, you're not going to see a, a, a fountain of, of, you're not going to see gushers that are like <laughs> fountainous and that's just not reality, you know? So in conclusion, jerking off is good. You probably don't have a problem unless you're doing it at work or instead of your girlfriend. You're probably not a perv or an incel unless you are, cause they're definitely out there. Next time on the pod, we're talking about people who get overly influenced and even radicalized by online platforms. How has the real world been impacted by the digital one that we've built? Despite the efforts of people like Dr. Petito, not everyone has a healthy relationship with the internet. So who's to blame for that? And also on the next episode, we'll talk to journalist and author Samantha Cole about how power and pleasure became even more intertwined through technology and how sex and the internet have both changed each other irrevocably. That control really shifted towards the monopolies that we see today. So, you know, you have like MindGeek, you know, a lot of these, you know, big foreign companies that ate up all the other small foreign websites in the really early days. You don't want to miss this one. So go ahead and smash that subscribe button. That way you'll automatically get all the new episodes that come out every other Wednesday. While you're there, do me a favor, give us a rating and a review. It helps people find the show or just go out there and tell your friends to listen. Indecent is a production of Next Chapter Podcasts. If you have something you want us to talk about, guests you want to recommend, or you just want to call me a lying sack of bitch flesh, go ahead and shoot us an email, indecentthepod at gmail.com. And a very, very big shout out to my producers, Max Wolfson and Pete Musto, and our executive producer, Jeremiah Tittle. I'm Kiki Anderson, and until next time, don't you forget to clear that browser history. Next Chapter Podcasts.